Redeemer. Uh, today's passage is from Matthew 14, verses uh, 13 through 21. Um, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, uh, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, There is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go, go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the, ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to, the he to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Amen. Thank you, Ashna. Um couple of things before we get started. Next, next Sunday is in the church calendar a traditional Sunday that uh, we celebrate what's called All Saints Day. And um, we, we sometimes loosely follow the church calendar here at this church, but we especially like to commemorate that day because we've had so many of our members um, pass on to the other world. Uh, they, they have, as the New Testament says, fallen asleep in the Lord. And so what we do in our church is that we will have flowers for you and vases up here. And if you would like to remember those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, you can bring a flower and you can place it in the vase. And one of the great things about being a Christian is that when, when you worship, when we worship God, um, we worship God with the saints throughout the ages, those who have come before and those who will always be. And so uh, traditionally, churches would have graveyards that you would walk through to go into a worship space to remember that th this is uh, also the people of God. And so uh, be aware of that. I'll send out communication on that um, later this week. Another thing that I want to announce before we get into the text is that our church extended a call to Reverend Steve Allen to become an assistant pastor here at this church. That is an unpaid position, and Steve Allen will function in the same way that he has been functioning over the past couple of years. And this is something that we have been in discussion with the Allens about for several years now, um, but certain things had to fall into place before we could announce that, one of which is uh, the, the approval of what's called Presbytery, which happened yesterday. If you want to know all those boring details, hit me up. Um, but we are very thankful for Steve. Many of you know Steve. Steve has been a wonderful blessing to our church. But he will have no other duties than to preach every now and then and to help with worship. So um, no administrative or pastoral duties. We're just simply extending him a call so that he can maintain and retain his credentials in our denomination. So uh, reach out to me if you have any questions about that. 
Okay, the reason why we're here uh, is to worship God, and part of how we do that is that we look at um, the, the scripture that Ashna just read. And so we have been discussing uh, this, this thing called the kingdom of God. The, the gospel in the first century was the announcement of good news that a king was in town. And the great king of all of the cosmos, uh, Jesus Christ, claims and is claiming to, br- to bring heaven into earth in a new way. And our text perfectly shows the difference between uh, mankind's kingdom and God's kingdom. So prior to our text, what, what we have in Matthew 14 is Herod, uh, who is the son of the other Herod that was like, you know, being bad when Jesus was, was a little baby. But Herod, was, he was throwing a party. And it was an epic party, lots of food, lots of drink, um, lots of objectifying women at this party. And uh, at, this, at this festival that he's throwing, uh, one of, there's all sorts of like weird things going on in his family, weird sexual things. And long story short, and Herod actually uh, says, I, for, for uh, this woman that's dancing for him, um, he says, I will give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. And this woman that's dancing for him says, uh, her, her mother comes and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And he has to obey or he's going to look uh, powerless. And so he has John the Baptist executed. Um, and in the midst of that, that's where our text picks up. And Jesus is hearing this news and he wants to go and grieve about his cousin that had just been killed. So uh, I know that's the background. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about this text here for a few moments. So let's pray. Lord, we uh, direct our attention to you now. And as we take breaths, as we center our focus on your word, as we center our focus on your presence by the Holy Spirit, help us, Lord, not to talk about you, Help us not to forget that you're present in the room. Help us not to forget that uh, you want us to participate in your kingdom right now. And so would you do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you show us what it means that you are a selfless king, that you share your kingdom with your people, and that you satisfy your people with uh, real, real food, with the bread from heaven, which is your son. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So again, we're contrasting in this text the kingdom of mankind and the kingdom of God. Uh, and Jesus, what we're going to see is Jesus is, he is literally endless in his selflessness towards people. You're going to see that in verse 13 through 14. Jesus likes to involve others in his, in his mission to bring heaven to earth. You're going to see that in verses 15 through 18. And when we see him participate in Jesus' blessing, what happens is that the human heart is satisfied. It's satiated. And you're going to see that in verses 19 through 20. So, uh, point one, Jesus' selflessness. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now, again, what happened right before the text that Ashton just read was that John the Baptist was killed by King Herod. Herod's kingdom was full of self-interest in every way. 
And he was, you know, much like the kingdoms of our day, it's all about sex, money, and power. I mean, if, if you go back and read the history behind, like, this weird incest that he's got going on in his family and the weird, the, the weird way in which he, like, seizes power, um, in the midst of all that, John the Baptist gets caught up in this, the selfishness of Herod and gets killed. And, and then he's, what's interesting is that, and it's gruesome, his head is brought on a platter to everybody in this party, almost like it, it's being served. Um, and that's the context of verse 13. When Jesus heard this, when he heard what happened to John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And this is what, if any of you have experienced grief at this level, when you hear shocking news like that, this is exactly what you want to do. You want to go and be alone so you can process the shock of that kind of news. You don't want to have to tend to the needs of other people because you need to kind of care for yourself. I had a friend once who lost a spouse, and he was crying on his kitchen floor. He, he was just in deep grief, and he said one of his daughters looked over at him as he's crying, and, and she just said, hey, Daddy, can you give me a Pop-Tart? <laughs> you know, not even giving a, uh, an eye towards, you know, the, the state that he was in. Well, this is the crowds in the gospel. Um, they keep following Jesus around, and Jesus wants to get away to a desolate place so he can just grieve the loss of his cousin. And in verse 14, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, and I really want to pay attention here, when Jesus saw the crowds coming after him, he had compassion on them as he looked on their needs. And so I want you to imagine, um, you know, to, see, to really see somebody is an act of love because to, to behold someone, to behold their needs, to look into their eyes is to put your interest second behind theirs. It is to, to say, okay, I am taking you in. And I, I want to know and move towards you. Well, when Jesus saw the great crowd, that word for compassion, is uh, it actually can be translated that his bowels were moved <laughs> towards them. And I don't know if you've ever... Um, had so much emotion towards somebody that your stomach gets kind of messed up. But that's the connotation here. Paul actually uses this word a lot when he talks about the churches that he plants in the Mediterranean area, Turkey, Asia Minor, Asia, Asia Minor that he loves them so much that he gets kind of, uh, his stomach kind of turns. And that's how Jesus looks at these crowds. He's like, I just, I, I love them so much that I will put my needs behind theirs. And his, selfless, his selflessness is just endless, even in the midst of his grief. And so while Herod and his crew are like feasting and getting drunk and basically degrading women for objects of their sexual pleasure, which they aren't, they are the image of God, which needs to be recognized, what Jesus is showing is that this is, this is a different way, it's a better way to live. It's a better way to nourish each other. It's a better way to be satisfied. And it's a kingdom that is centered on selflessness, not selfishness. 
And so after Jesus moves towards people when he initially needed to get away and grieve, it became late towards evening and his disciples come to him with a problem. And it's a, it's a good thing that they're coming to Jesus with a problem. They say, look, uh, we're concerned about these crowds. Like their blood sugar is dropping. They're out here in the middle of nowhere, and there's no way that we're going to be able to feed them. And so we, Jesus, we really need to, you know, this is like the, they came to the conference, they heard the speaker, but there ain't no food to be had. And so they're just like, go back to the towns. Send them away into the towns where all the resources are. And uh, that's a good thing. Jesus, uh, they're like, this place is desolate. And then um, Jesus says in verse 16, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, this is, a, this is one of the only, aside from the resurrection, this is one of the only other miracles that's mentioned in all four Gospels. And so this is something very pivotal happening here. And part of what Jesus is showing in that, in that verse 16, where he looks at the disciples like, you, you do it, you feed them, is that he's saying, I want to involve you in my kingdom work. I want to include you in what you have to share the gospel, to bring heaven to earth. Not that you add to your salvation, but that he wants to help you participate in what he's doing because it's just more fun that way for him. And so point two, Jesus involves others in that mission. His kingdom work is shared. And uh, I want us to think about that experience for the disciples. You know, they're, <laughs> they're sitting there and they come to Jesus with that legitimate issue to feed at least 5,000 people, maybe even 15,000. And they've seen Jesus do miraculous things so far. But they're more, you know, this is one of the things I, I love about Christianity. Um, you know, he doesn't say, you know, send them in the town where all the resources are. But he says, that's not necessary. I want you to give them something to eat. And they say, you know, we, we don't have enough. All we have is five loaves and two fish. And he's like, well, bring those here to me. And this is very, very easy to miss and very important for us today. I hear a lot of people talk about like um, the, the Christian life has to be more about uh, just going to church on Sunday and hearing a sermon and doing prayers and your spiritual stuff, you know, once, you know, a week maybe. And one of the things about the kingdom of God, and one of the reasons why I continue to believe in Christianity, is because it is so, so normal and practical and earthy, as normal as like eating food every single day. And the question is, like, how do we get, how do we get our relationship with God lived out in the normal regularities of our life? And I think we see this here in our text. That everything that we bring to the table can be used for kingdom work. And that's exactly what Jesus is showing here, that his kingdom involves everything that you just normally think about. And he wants to use what you bring to the table. And if you're like, I, I, don't, really, I don't really have anything <laughs> to, to give, and that's just simply not true. Everything that you are, your story, every, every gift that you own, everything that you bring into this room or into the lives of other people can be used to further the mission of God. Every person 
has within them particular gifts that Jesus desires to bless and make useful for others. But Jesus doesn't want to extend his kingdom for us. He wants to do it with us. Now, um, I want to, uh, I, I did not expect um, Jordan's parents to be in the room tonight. Hey, Patty and Dennis. Um, but I, I, want, I want to talk about a little bit about my experience with Jordan with this with this story. Um, there was an accident on O Street a couple of weeks ago, uh, Cotner and O. And there, it was a motorcycle accident. And me and my children were heading to go meet my in-laws uh, for dinner at a restaurant. And we pull into this lane and uh, we're stuck in traffic and in the clear view of where we're at, there are two bodies on the ground. Um, and I can't like back up or go forward because the whole, the whole thing is stopped. And I don't know, you know, we get desensitized to this stuff when we see it on screen. But when you, when you experience this kind of thing in real life, it's like there is some sort of cloud of importance that everyone's like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You know, and everybody feels it, even children. And so my children are sitting in the back seat and they're like looking at these people on the ground. And I'm just like, I'm about to get triggered, you know, <laughs> like I'm about to hyperventilate. Um, and so I'm like, okay, guys, uh, there's something very important that just happened over there. And I'm like turning around. Sarah's not w- with me. And so I'm just trying to hold it together. Um, and what it's reminding me of is my buddy, Jordan, um, on the ground. And so I tell Ambrose and Lazarus, my, ki- my kids, I'm like, hey, y'all, um, let's pray. Let's pray for these people over here because they're hurting. And so I pray, and uh, then I say amen. And I say, you know what, Ambrose and Lazarus, and I can tell, it was like the most attentive they've, e- they've ever been to my prayers. You know, they're usually really distracted. Um, I was like, y- you know, guys, uh, g- when I was with Mr. Jordan, um, some, something like that uh, was very similar to my experience when I was mis- with Mr. Jordan. And I can honestly say that God was with me in that moment. And he was with Mr. Jordan. And he can be with you, too. No matter what happens. And so we don't have to be afraid. Um, and we were all still afraid, right? <laughs> And then the, the traffic finally cleared up, and then we finally got to the restaurant. But I, I can really say, you know, that in that moment, God gave us courage and hope that this cloud of death doesn't just like suck us down into uh, a hopeless type of existence. Now look, think about the disciples. Like, what they offered back to Jesus it's not like they had great faith or small faith. This is just what they had. They had some fish and some bread. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll take that. And then he blesses it. And he gives it to other people. And then he includes them and gives, gives the gospel to other people. Now, um, one of the things that I think that we need to, to imagine as a community is that whatever has happened to you, or whatever you have, Jesus wants to use it. And Jesus can use it. And don't think that, that he can't. 
Don't think that like whatever gifts you bring into this room are, are pointless and not meant to bless other people. And what we're called to do is that you take whatever little thing that's been given to you that Jesus has actually broken and blessed, and you say, how can this be used for other people? And you act in faith that God will sustain and provide you, especially in moments of crisis and need. And you believe that that can happen. Now, in my very, very minimal experience so far in life, Jesus has always provided like this. And it's happened so many times and so often now that it's almost impossible to deny his existence. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm beyond denying the existence uh, of God, but, you know, here's how I think about miracles like this, like this. You know, some think that miracles like this are laughable and just plain unreal. But the supernatural realm, the more you read it in the Gospels, it almost seems way, way more sane to me than the real world. That's what Jesus is showing. That his kingdom is actually... The, the sane one that puts others first and infuses life and health back into the world. And that the kingdom of man, the natural observable order of things, is selfish, indulgent, and it celebrates death. It serves death on platters instead of life and nourishment. You ever wonder why, you know, we think of selflessness as a good thing? It's because you're created in God's image. And that's who He is. And so one of the questions we all have to ask ourselves is, do you really, do you really think believing in Jesus is more crazy than believing in the natural world? It's not like the world has gotten any more sane today, you know? And you may say, well, you know, if, if you don't believe in Jesus or you're confused or, or you're in a place of disillusionment, you may say, well, I don't even know how to start believing in Jesus. It seems impossible. And that's the whole point of where to start. That's the place you have to start. And that's when you, you will hear Jesus say, well, what do you have? What do you have? And you may say, well, I have a broken story. Uh, I have a I have a passion for youth sports. We have all these people in the North Bottoms. I have a passion for the poor. I have a passion for the rich. I have some money. Um, and Jesus will say, well, sweet, that'll work. We can use that. And then you give it to other people. And Jesus likes to bless the gifts that we offer to him. And he likes to involve us in spreading the gospel. And the gospel, it is spread through our words. You know, if you get one thing from Adam's ministry here, it's like open your mouth and talk about Jesus. Um, that there are millions of other ways to spread the gospel. Millions. What is it that you have? What is it that you want to give to others? That you want to play a part in his kingdom? Whatever that is, you can bring it to him and you can watch what he can do with it. And when you do, you get the blessing of participating in his kingdom, and that's the thing that really actually truly satisfies the human heart. That's when you're full. Um, verses 19 through 21. Mark Sayers, a pastor in Australia, he says, Blessing is the language of, 
your heart. And it's the true food that satisfies. He says, when we bless instead of curse, we create distribution channels of the kingdom of heaven. And at any moment, God has good things locked up in us, resources that get released out into the world, but it, does, it doesn't initially look like it will work or that it'll make an impact. Um, so for instance, like when I, was, when I was at that light with my children, it's not like I knew what to do. I was just trying not to hyperventilate, you know? And I was sitting there knowing that if, if I can't make it to the restaurant and I have to put my, you know, flashers on and call Sarah to come get me, then that's not going to be good. What can I do? Well, I can pray. I can try to pray and I can say, God, I need some help. And, and I was just trying not to be triggered. And God showed up. And so, you know, uh, I've been in situations, I was just thinking, I've been in situations like that before, and God came. And when, what Jesus is saying is that when he blesses somebody, and when he blesses what you bring to him, that word is actually, in, in the text there, the word for, for eulogy that we have in uh, our language in English. To bless or to set something apart for the goodness and compassion of others is to infuse life into the world. And this is the way that God's kingdom works. And I, I know that this, like that word to be blessed is uh, oftentimes seen as cheesy, you know, like too blessed to be stressed or whatever. Um, but I, I do want you to think about this. Has anyone ever blessed you? Has it, have you uh, ever received somebody's delight in who you are as a person, and have you been willing to like take it, to take someone's blessing over your life? One, one of my main missions in my life is to eulogize people before they die. And I want y'all to eulogize each other before you die. I think it's one of, it's one of the most um, unfortunate things that some of the best things that we say about each other happen after you die. And I'm just like, say it now. Because what that does is that it infuses life into your friends and into your family. The human heart is satisfied when we become able to receive delight from others and from God. To receive it. This is why uh, it's one of the most evil things in the world to continue to, to think that you are unworthy of someone enjoying and delighting in you. That self-contempt that we all feel through the various ways in which we've been cursed in this life. Whether we curse ourselves or we've heard it from other people. Um, the kingdom of mankind, is, <laughs> it curses you and the kingdom of God turns oneself to, towards the Spirit to open yourself up to him with the expectation that he will favor you and that he will be satisfied in you. And the reason why that's even available to you right now is because of what's in the text, that when Jesus sees you, he is lovesick. That's what his compassion is for you. That he wants to extend mercy to you, that he wants to move towards you like he moves towards these crowds. And Jesus Christ most 
poignantly shows that when he broke his body for the food and the satiation of the world at the Last Supper. To turn, to turn towards God and to let Him enjoy you simply means believing that He actually does. It's one of the hardest things in the world to believe. Very simply, that God enjoys you. If you trace back every root sin of your life, there's a, there's a, a false belief that somewhere along the line, you got the thing in your head, the, the lie that God really just doesn't want to be around you. And Jesus' whole mission is to say that that's not true. God wants to be with you. You make his stomach turn. And when, when you live and move and breathe that reality, which is true, then you receive all the blessings in the heavenly places, as Ephesians says. And you, you have, like these disciples, you have more than enough. You have 12 baskets full left over. Um, there's this uh, illustration. I know I'm going to get some of the details wrong here, but um, the, the daughter, you guys remember the, the store Toys R Us? Is that still around? Does that still exist? That was like the epitome of a great time when I was a little boy. Um, but apparently, uh, the, the owner of the store took his daughter through Toys R Us one Christmas and he said, uh, you can have anything you want, and I'll make sure that, that Santa gets it to you. And so they went walking in the store, and he had a list, and she starts pointing out things that she wants. And like halfway through the store, she's like, Dad, are you sure you're getting all this down? And, and he says, yeah, I, I got it all. And when, when your father owns the whole cosmos which is the testimony of the gospel, you don't have to worry that you're not going to have enough. And in the end, there really are two types of people. It's the people who look over their life and back on their life and say, I need more. I never had enough. And then the person that says, I have had more than enough and you can have some of mine. Those are the types of people that Jesus wants to create in the world. And through Jesus, that can actually happen. He can turn people into selfless sharers of the gospel who are satisfied in his blessing over them, so much so that they can give it to other people. Not to get God's approval, but simply because this is actually, in the end, it's actually a happier way to live than in the self-indulgent way of the kingdom of mankind like Herod. Herod went after everything that he could, he could grab. And in the end, he came up empty. And Jesus is saying, do, do, you want, do you want a king who would kill for you, or do you want a king who would be killed for you? And that's what he offers. So we're going to pray and uh, enter into worship through confession and assurance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this um, wonderful, wonderful story that you gave so much food to so many people and that you included your disciples in on that. And I ask, Lord, that you would include us in on your mission uh, to spread the gospel here in this town, here in Lincoln, Nebraska. We thank you for your sustenance up to this point. And we ask that with the things that have been entrusted to us and given to us, that we would give it to others um, for the sake of joy, Lord, for the sake of uh, participating in your kingdom and getting to uh, play with you. Lord, uh, help us to do that right now. In Christ's name, amen.